Newsflash, newsflash. A new team member has joined the crew of the Dogger and Muddy Music, i.e. Dam, show up here in the Trio studio. My wife recently went on a Northwest Arkansas weekend escape with her sisters. Oddly, one of the big events of the trip was a large chainsaw art festival. This rough art tends to create bear, eagle, and other wildlife statues. Well, right in the middle of all the wildlife was a boldly sawed chocolate lap. This muddy statue is now proudly on display outside the door of our treehouse studio. The two muddies now have matching collars, plus my sister-in-law Ginger, an awesome artist, took the time to add touch-up paint to the statue's eyes and muzzle so that the woodcut muddy now has the same stellar good looks (laughs) as the real mud. Be on the lookout for pics of Muddy and his statue on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook over the next few days. Hey, yesterday I read an uplifting article in the Dallas Morning News Metro section. Over the last few years, a young lady, Wendy Birdsell, took herself from the status of homeless to a SMU grad. Let me repeat that. Homeless to SMU grad. Her life up until a few years ago was tough. Fortunately for most of us, we can only imagine her past world. Well, Wendy had the courage to change her life through hard work and education. She graduates with a bachelor's degree in applied physiology and sports management. We wish her the very best in her career. For more on this strong woman, search for the article on Google. As always, campers, it's great to have you listening in to The Damn Show. Get ready. Muddy and I are going to talk to our friend Dave Hinson, the founder of Killer Vintage Specialty Guitars, about the odd and significant setback rock and roll took in the early 90s and the impact it had on different music genres. Amy, let's get episode 15 on the road. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? All right, campers. I'm sitting here with Dave Hinson from uh, Killer Vintage Specialty Guitars. I believe it's the uh, company with the most adjectives in its name, I believe. Could be. (laughs) We'll have to check that out scientifically. They're here by Lovefield in Dallas, Texas. Um, you've been here going on well, a little over two years a now. Over two years, yeah. Fantastic. So, how, how's it going? Is your brand building, or are you, are you I feeling think so. good? Yeah, it's getting more recognized and known around town, um, which is the idea. We're, we're sort of a destination location, which most guitar shops really are. People don't wander. We just walk down the street and go, "Oh, look, let's go buy a guitar." I mean, that, that doesn't usually happen. Right. I, Except I, for early people uh, or early well, on. Not even. I mean, I had a store in St. Louis next to a concert venue in a sort of a trendy area. Yeah. For a couple of years, then it just didn't work. I mean, it's hmm. that's not the format normally, unless you're selling, you know, like beginner stuff, which we don't do. Right. We don't right. do any accessories other than some high-end pedals, boutique pedals, vintage pedals, vintage guitars, some new guitars, vintage amps, and a few new amps, but primarily. We'd rather stay with, you know, sort of the the main, um, the meat of the matter, sort of the, right. to say. Um, I don't do strings, no picks, no chords, no straps, any of that stuff. They know how to handle that. But we have, um, well, a lot of people can buy that stuff online. 
Right. You know, you, you don't have to try out a set of strings to buy a set of Ernie Ball strings. You know what they are. Right. And artists, a lot of artists are very picky as to what they want. So if you if you store Ernie Balls, then you got to probably store a Well, then somebody wants others. DRs, and then somebody else right. wants, you know, so that the Adarios, and then somebody else wants, you know, it's, I can't, I'm not going down that. I mean, I do that at my store in St. Louis. Oh, do you? We have all that stuff. Yeah. And it's, we do a lot more, you know, walk in and repair and sort of the, the range. But, I mean, Killer Vintage in St. Louis has been around for, you know, what, almost 30 years. Yeah. Which was by appointment only until the last, well, since 05. So 13 years as a public store. Damn. Well, I can attest that Dave's busy. This is our third time to try and set up this interview because you're always it's, getting called by somebody to come check out something or something. somebody flies in, right? Something. There's do you? Something. Act, I would assume, being right by Love Field, do you actually have some clients that fly in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens occasionally, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of touring bands will come here. Well, they do in the St. Louis store, too. That's Right. And you're also picking up your marketing, I, I see. I see the brand building more for you. I mean, I've uh, noticed your Facebook post, and I think you're also doing some radio ads, right? We have been, yeah. yeah. So I support KX, KXT, which is a great local station. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the best I've heard. I know. It's always on my radio in the yeah. car. It's always there. Last time we talked, we agreed that we were going to talk about how grunge killed rock and roll. Ooh, heavy subject. It's happened in the early 90s, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before we go to the early 90s, can you give our audience a little sense for how the record business, musicians, and agents worked prior to that and prior to grunge causing all these problems? Well, there's a great explanation uh, from an interview with Frank Zappa around that time period, early 90s, where he sort of lays out the scenario. He said back in the, you know, in the 60s, whatnot, the, the record, you know, the, the record guys were these old guys chomping cigars, as he describes them, um, that would like, you know, hey, I don't know what it is. Put it out there and see what happens. Right. Um, sometime in the late 60s into the 70s is when they, well, let's get a younger guy. So they hire a hippie. They have him get coffee for a few months and then say, all right, well, he, he got coffee. He didn't wasn't late didn't spill anything let's let's make him the ar guy so as the, he, obvi- he as obviously the hippie, earned it yeah. as the hippie guy became the ar guy he decided that he knew what kids wanted where prior to that there were you know it was the it was the old guys with cigars going i don't know what it is stick it out there let's see what happens so for our audience just to clarify uh, what's ar the ar guy artist rep okay Art. There's actually another artist rep or, uh, shit, there's actually another name for that in the record industry, but it's the same thing. Gotcha. Um, and his, his theory was that the young guys that they brought in, in other words, the, the hippie guy, as he calls them, did more damage to the art form than the old guys did because the old guys would go, I don't know what it is, just put it out there, let's see what happens. So a lot of stuff got released in the 60s and even into the early 70s before that really took hold that, you know, some of it made it, some of it didn't. But we were given a a large palette of music to hear. Whereas as it as it got, uh, you know, those guys took hold, the younger guys, let's say, and I don't mean that, you know, necessarily verbatim or as a derogatory term, either one. But as the guys that thought they knew what the audience wanted because they were part of it, I think a lot of it became their opinions as opposed to, you know, objectively trying to present 
you know, things that could be decided, whether it's good or not. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. Right. Um, and, and that's, you know, by the time you get into the late 80s and the early 90s, which is when the grunge thing hit, it, music became more polarized and more compartmentalized. Right. Where it was, oh, this is acid rock, and oh, this is alternative, and this is that. Instead of just being music, I mean, we were, yeah, all these genres exploded. All you know, I mean, in the '60s, you know, when when the Beatles and Stones and all those guys were first coming on, there were only a couple radio stations that played popular top forty, which we considered top forty. And top forty then was a mix. I mean, you might hear a, a Frank Sinatra song or a Herb Albert, and then you Herb Albert song, and then you might hear. Uh, Dion Warwick, and then you'd hear a Beatles or Paul Revere and the Raiders, or you know, I mean, there was a huge palette of music, and you'd hear Motown and soul and R&B and rock and roll, and uh, you know, even bordering on country, which basically rock and roll is just fast country without the wang. I mean, <laughs> I mean, thanks to Chuck Berry. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then everything, all pop music's blues based, anyway. Right. If you stop and think about it. So the early 90s comes around and early a 90s, big change happens. Now, I, it was explained to me by one of the guys that works at my shop in St. Louis, Brian Henneman, who's the main songwriter, leader of the Bottle Rockets, yeah. which is a great Americana band. One of their, they were recording in Nashville so, several years ago, and he, whoever their engineer was, was explaining to him story that this guy said that what happened was when grunge hit um the record companies got rid of all the old guys i mean the guys that were doing metallica and and whatnot in the 80s they all got fired and they brought in all the kids from seattle and uh that era you know the whole grunge thing they brought new blood in which again is like bringing in the hippie in the, in the 70s um and those guys really sort of, you know, per, sort of pressed their own style. In other words, um, they didn't present a large palette anymore. And that's when things started, you know, sort of degrading. Well, what happened to all those old guys that were at the record companies? Where'd they go? They all went to Nashville. Nashville. They're in Nashville still. A lot of them are. But those are the guys that brought Garth Brooks in on the trapeze, to, you know, and, and, the, and created the spinning, this. And the spinning drum set. And what happened then is it created what we ha- now have as the new country, which is kind of lost and meandering, trying to be rap and whatever else with the yeah. same li- same six words and all the lyrics. Just kind of touch a rock a little bit. <sighs> Who, uh, I don't know. As Tom Petty described it one time. Uh, or maybe it was Rick Rubin in that Tom Petty uh, thing. He said, uh, New Country is just bad rock bands with a fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as a result of that, those guys are still there. And what the other thing, it was sort of the perfect storm of bad things, really. The young guys who were pretty inexperienced in the world that they had been thrown into because of the, you know, bringing in uh, to the record companies, to the, the grunge guys. Same, what happened at the same time is that's when Napster hit. So the file oh, sharing yeah. started. And those guys had no clue how to deal with that. Well, I don't um, think many people had any clue. No, well, nobody still does. Yeah. yeah right. I mean, look at Spotify. I mean, nobody gets 
shit for the music anymore like because of that. Ten cents a... That's, I refuse to participate. I buy my songs on iTunes. Good. Or I buy a, an album or I buy a CD. Right. Sorry, I'm old school, but I think the artist deserves to be paid for their work. Damn right. Um, and, that, you know, that's my personal thing. But what ha- um, And if you notice, I mean, obviously it's gotten bigger now with the onslaught on of, uh, like, Spotify and whatnot. But for a long time, the, the country wasn't part of that scenario the file sharing as much as you know rock i didn't realize that um of course now everything is right pretty much that's sort of the crux of it and as a result if you think back what happened was there are really no there became alternative stations radio stations right and most of the prior stations that were rock stations became classic rock because there really isn't any new rock although there is but they just don't play it because they don't and for whatever reason whether it's payola which i'm sure there's still some of that going on but for some reason you don't have that large uh palette of paints anymore yeah well let's go back to plugging kxt except for kxt locally kxt does a great job of of doing that yeah yeah and they're probably one of the few i mean i've listened to radio stations from New York to L.A., and I haven't heard anything as good as KXT, actually. KNON does some cool stuff. Some, too. I've listened to that, yeah. too. But, I mean, but the, all the radio stations here are way better than a lot of other places. I have. I oh, could, really? Yes. Good. I, I always felt that way. I didn't know for sure, but I felt that way. Right. Okay. Um, the other thing, too, I was going to, um, about, and this is a, a great quote, and I can't remember who told me this. It was within the past year. said that rock is in its jazz phase. Yeah. In yeah, other words, it's on the before. outskirts. Yeah. Um, it's not mainstream. I don't really know what is mainstream. The, I mean, going back to the radio stations, you go the typical classic rock station, which there are an insane number in, in the DFW Metroplex. It's like they play, there's 100 songs that they play over and over and over. I mean, you can almost flip from one of those classic rock stations to another one, and it'll be the same song almost playing it. Right, yeah. right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's... And it's, I love those classic songs, but... On infinitum, kind of worse. <clears throat> well, it's like you know, it was a few years ago, I was on Bourbon Street, and I walked walking down Bourbon Street, three different bands in three different bars were playing "I Want You to Want Me," Cheap Trick. And it's like this is completely wrong. Why is this happening in New Orleans? Right. Because so, people so are f- trying to be generic, so they appeal to everyone. You can't yeah. do that. You just got to yeah. do what you want to do. Speaking of which, the Preservation Hall band put out an album, I think it was last year or the year before, and it is fantastic. Oh, sure. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely love it. I mean, you can still find it there, but, you know, it's... Yeah. It's like, um, you know, Broadway in Nashville now, too. It's the same same kind of thing. When they got uh, on uh, Stephen Colbert's late show, John Patisse from New Orleans is right. their le- the leader of the their, right. that band, and, boy, they put out some good stuff. So it begs the question, from my perspective... Where does this put the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It was just on TV the last couple of weeks, and you know, with rock changing over the last 20 years, what is your perspective on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't really have one, uh, except it's in the wrong city. That's the only thing I think. It's, Cleveland. Uh, I have no idea why it's in Cleveland. Rock and Roll began in St. Louis. 
Ah, uh, but, but but let's be honest. Ike Turner, you, you're Turner. from St. Louis. <laughs> well, Ike Turner is a, hands yep. agreed worldwide. That's the first rock and roll song was Rocket '88, yeah. 1951. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry and Johnny Johnson, Johnson. Yep. kept that or fine tuned that and brought it into the mainstream. So rock and roll really began in St. Louis. The term was from a DJ in Cleveland, which doesn't to me hold water. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the biggest thing is back to what we were talking about music and how it directly affects me is there hasn't been face it rock and roll is really a guitar driven sort of art form predominantly i mean there are some good keyboardists that that are the there, front well it's not keyboardists no just but in general the you know the guitar is associated heavily with rock and roll true as much as any other music um there hasn't been a guitar hero, anybody who's really done anything to inspire or boost sales since Slash. Gary that was Clark, in the mid-'80s. Yeah. Uh, Gary Clark hasn't sold any guitars to speak of. John Mayer didn't sell any guitars to speak of. Joe the Bonamassa, Joe Bonamassa. Bonamassa hasn't really sold any guitars except hmm. the old guys. I mean, his, his, I mean, face it, his audience is 40 up. Yeah. Yeah. 20-somethings are not listening to Joe Matamasa. Yeah, it's real weird. It got better. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks, one of my favorite bands. Derek Trucks is amazing. Joe Matamasa oh. is an amazing player, yeah. too. But, but, but they're not your... drawing in yeah. the, you know, when I was 13, you know, or 11, it was the Beatles, yeah. you know, and then the Stones and then Paul Revere and the Raiders. And, you know, I mean, it was, everybody wanted to play guitar. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've been to several Tedeschi Trucks uh, gigs, and many times it's getting a little better now. But many times in the early years, I'd sit there and look around, and like you said, everybody's forty years plus. A couple of years ago, I went to Red Rocks where they were playing. Took took my son and one of his buddies, and they fell in love with them. Yeah. I said, "Yeah, you should fall in love with them. Right. these guys. Are they're insane? What they that band can do? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. but." And, you know, there is no fix. There is no path. It's just uh, you can just state the facts and hope somebody figures out a way. I certainly don't know what to tell anybody to do to change it or help it. Well, you kind of wonder if it's kind of like multitasking with our younger kids. The quote, the statement that there's made a lot about our kids are doing multiple things. They're listening to music. They're gaming. They're doing this. They're doing that. Right. Maybe it's an insanely short attention span right now. That and, you know, the bar has been brought so low for in a lot of ways. I mean, when, when I got money in the 70s, one of the first things I bought, I already had guitars, but one of the things, first things I bought when I had, like, extra money was I bought a great stereo system. Absolutely. Now people listen out of, you know, what, quarter-inch headphones right or you know out their phone right with the, with the phone with the <clears throat> with the soundscape clipped down to a certain level so you can hear it so i mean the whole audiophile the appreciation of music now vinyl is coming back and I, a lot of people are starting to realize younger people are starting to realize my daughter asked she goes dad do you have all your albums still and i go yeah she, can i have them yeah of course you can have them. Yeah, a, a few weeks back, uh, we interviewed Dustin Blocker with hand-drawn records and pressings up in Addison. And he gave statistics on where vinyl was like five years ago. Oh, it's and, and where they're, where it's projected to be by 2020. And it's amazing. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, there's a huge difference in sound. As yeah. you can, it's easy. 
to hear it. And he says that CDs are going to get cut now, too. They're, they're not going to be pressing as many CDs anymore. No, well, CDs don't sound very good either. Yeah. I mean, they sound slightly better than headphones, but not, not anywhere near the quality of vinyl. Yeah. I mean, that's where the... That's where, you know, it was... I don't know whether it's meant to be or we're, we're used to it, but there is just, it's just a much bigger, warmer way to appreciate music. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, and you watch the music every once in a while, like Saturday Night Live or whatever, and, and I appreciate some of the young bands exploring soundscapes and et cetera, but sometimes it's just like, whoa, whoa, where are you going? Okay, great, you got these five different sounds coming into this song. What is the song about? Let's go back to that. What's the song about, and are you conveying that message? Right. Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of music, popular music, there really isn't a message. You know, I mean, the, it's the the joke about, you know, if you and if you listen to like, well, I hate to be harping on it, but I mean, Chuck Berry songs, they're sort of each one's a story. Yeah. Right. Each one. I mean, it's he was such a great wordsmith. I mean, you saw a picture from the lyrics. Right. You envisioned the song with the music. You you saw there was a, it was a movie for your ears. Right. Yeah, it, that's why we focus. You know, on Beatles and Stones. I mean, all great songs. Tom Petty was a master at that too. Oh, he is great. He's, he's you know, I mean, great. there's there there are those bright spots. I replayed his uh, video. Uh, his DVD from when he played at the Fillmore West uh, yeah. back in the 90s. It's, it's one of my favorite yeah. DVDs. It's just so fantastic. Well, what we need are more appreciation of... There There are those people out there. Yes. It's just a matter of getting them heard. And, the, you know, that's beyond my control. I mean, I right. can appreciate. I try to go find those artists. Did you? I go, well, I, I do. Yeah. Still. I try to go see what's what's around. I mean, Dallas has a wealth of great players and musicians. It's, it's funny. For the amount of great musicians, though, and somebody's going to yell at me for this, eh. but I haven't heard a lot. I've heard some, but I haven't heard a lot of great bands. But I've heard a lot of great players here, and I've heard some good bands, too. Yeah, maybe it seems but like... But a lot of it is guys will jump around playing, you know. There's no, there's not just these four guys all the time. And, and as it, much as you see, <clears throat> you know, this guy with, oh, that guy, I saw him with somebody last week, and oh, the bass player was with somebody else. The week. So, you know, it's, you don't hear that, that tight cohesion that you, that you used to when you hear, you know. I mean, if if that was the way it was in the '60s and '70s, there would be no Beatles or Skinner or Stones or, you know. Well, the the Who to me, <laughs> one of who. my favorite stories about the Who is people talking to Antwistle afterwards, and you know, Pete Townsend would change the direction of the song, and and John would be with him immediately, and they'd go, "How did you know that?" He goes, "Well, we played together just a few times." Well, Pete always said that John was the best musician in the band. Yeah, well, he played multiple instruments. I know that much. Mm-hmm. And man, when uh, he's like Brian Jones was probably yeah. the best musician in the Stones. Yeah, couldn't deal with it in his head, but he was the best musician. Yes, yeah. I and mean, he could play anything, literally. Yeah, anything. Yeah, I heard, I heard that like when they when he took took on the sitar within 
a few hours he was playing it. Yeah. Which is like, that's insane. I mean, how many I, strings are on a sitar? A right. hell of a I lot. mean, the, the, all the, you know, listen how the, their sound changed as, as Brian got worse. You know, after what, God's Head Soup or whatever. That was, right. That was kind of the end of him. But at, prior to that, like Ruby Tuesday and She Comes in Colors and all those songs and Under My Thumb, the marimba, and just like, wow. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, great stuff. I love it. I love it. That's artistry. That's true artistry. Absolutely. I'm curious. I, I, as we were talking earlier, I, I recently bought a new bass, and I'm pleased that I got it. And I, you gave me some fi- advice, and other people gave me some advice in hunting for one because I'm a weekend warrior than 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 uh, more than a real musician. For somebody who's getting started, or uh, what's your advice on how somebody should buy their first instrument? Come see me. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Set a budget, but try not to cheap out. And if you have access to someone who knows instruments and or repair or can spot things, call on them. Have them look at it. Don't buy something that needs a bunch of work or, you know, may not be playable. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I heard that if you go in, you know, you're starting out, you go into a store, some of those guitars have been hanging there for a year. A lot of guitars, um, you know, are not set up. Right, and they may not be able to be set up some in some cases. So those are the things that you need someone, and it's generally not going to be a salesman. You need somebody no. that that works on guitars or knows, you know, something about luthery um, to look at it with you, right? Or be able to ask. Yeah, one one advice I got, which was very helpful, was you know, look down the neck <clears throat> bo- both ways and see if that look down the neck from the nut. <laughs> Looking the other yeah. way doesn't do any good. Okay, it's Look, it's deceptive. Look okay. from the nut down toward the body. Yeah, and, and see if sure that baby is straight because the strings are always going to be straight. Yeah, and sometimes they'll be bowed on one side, straight on the other. That means the neck's twisted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I've 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 experienced that. I would assume a lot of times, sometimes the strings are set up way too high above the fretboard for somebody who's starting out. And that's adjustable. Most right. of that stuff is, unless it's horrible. And it's acoustic, and if they are that, then it needs a neck set, which is about a $700 job. So right. stay away from those kind of things. And then maybe lastly, plug it into a speaker, set everything flat. The bass, the treble, the, the mids, set them all flat, and, and, and play it and see if it pushes out good sound from all different levels right well the best thing is to play it acoustically okay don't plug it in if it's a good guitar it will be loud and responsive and resonant acoustically yeah like plugging that, it in doesn't matter yeah like the what's the the bass we've got over here on the wall a really good instrument is going to be resonant and and fairly loud uh, on its own yeah, I was amazed. He's got a, a P bass for a good age, and with flat wa- flat wounds on it, and not plugged in. And I just thumbed it, and man, it sang. It was or amazing. A, or as a friend of mine calls it, it's got the brang. It's got the what? It's got the brang. <laughs> it's got the brang. It's a good. It's bringing it on. It's got the brang. It's a good guitar. When, <laughs> when you play that chord, my head's taking me back to earlier in our interview. We talked a little bit about where rock's going, but uh, but I think there's more to it. Can can you add a little bit, you know, over these big changes from grunge and and what's out there and the uh, Spotify and et cetera? Where, where's rock going from your perspective? Well, as I said before, rock's best described as in its jazz phase. It's sort of on the outskirts. It's not mainstream right now and hasn't been for a while. Um, 
you know, that's, <laughs> there was a thing, the kid that does our Facebook in St. Louis put up the other day and said, the problem with millennials is they don't have any songs about taking care of business or fighting for the right to party or anything like that. So they need to get on the stick and start coming up with some stuff. I've thought some watching around Dallas, going back to our earlier conversation about older people going to see Tedeschi trucks, is, you know, when you read back on the artists that make it, they usually start out, they obviously got to start out small. Of course. But they pull, they start pulling in that audience on a local basis. And sometimes Dallas is maybe too much of a workaholic kind of city. And the young people, they get move on from college and they, you know, they don't have time to check it out. But I'd love to see more kids, you know, jump into these audiences and check out these new, new Well, you're always going to have a diversity of that. I mean, uh, my daughter's 26, so she's in that group where, you know, she will go see live music. Unfortunately, a lot of her and her friends also are into the electronic stuff. Yeah. And with DJs, and which sadly I can't do anything about. But there's that whole genre, which is basically comes out of Europe, really. Germany was, was big on that in the 70s and the 80s. And that's, it's become main, more, more mainstream here than... You know, and music evolves. We evolve. Right. Hopefully, we evolve. Yep. And hopefully, they'll... But as as we know, you know, as we can see in history, history does repeat itself. So there will be a turning point where yeah, we'll get back them. to basics again yeah. and or, you know, move the notches back up. You know, it's like the... Uh, what's the... One of the memes I saw... No, a long time ago, is it uh, it's a picture of the Beatles, and it says, "Sorry if we set the bar too high." <laughs> but sometimes that's just somebody's image in their head. There's, I mean, over the last three, four years, I've been picking up more vinyl of new artists than right. the old stuff. I right. mean, that's what I'm pl- listening to the new stuff. So, people, please check well, out. Well, and you know, guys. we all have to admit and realize and yes. face the fact that. Music is very opinion-based. Everyone has their own opinion of what they like. But as I always say, and the same with guitars, and I tell people all the time, that's why there's chocolate and vanilla and strawberry. Everybody likes something different. And Howard Johnson's had 28 flavors. Remember that. But it doesn't need to be pure chocolate. Maybe it's just off a little bit. So so try somebody new. See what I mean? Yeah. Just a little. Don't you don't need to jump over to strawberry. That's why there's 28 flavors. Howard <laughs> Johnson's, but Howard Johnson's is no more. So <laughs> that's true. Um, you you play in a couple of bands. You play with Dean Faring. Um, I do. Dean and I do a duo, and then um, his Coyotes band once in a while too. Yeah. But yeah, we've got a couple other things cooking. But because of your contacts from this store and the one up in St. Louis, and I would assume from other other connections, you you've had a you've had a treat. You've gotten to play with some people that have are big names. I think you, what what was it? Johnny Rivers you played with a I while did. back. <clears throat> I did a show with Johnny on his seventieth birthday or seventy second birthday. It was a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. That was he was one of my guitar heroes. He's one of Keith Richards' guitar heroes. I mean, there were. He was a big deal when I was a little kid. I yeah. That's that's one of the reasons I wanted a 335. So Johnny Rivers had a 335. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted a 335 because Eric Clapton had a 335. Well, Eric Clapton won one because Johnny Rivers had one. That's true. And then, or Freddie King also had, well, he had he a had three, 345. 345. Right. But, so. but he had actually a gold top before that. Freddie did? Uh-huh. Ah, okay. Because Muddy Waters had a gold top. Probably. Probably. 
probably. Oh, he played, Muddy played a telly a lot, too. He played a gold top, though, early on. Good. So when you, Johnny invites you to his 70th birthday party, how do you approach, you know, when you're leading a band versus kind of supporting somebody, how do you approach that? You listen. You listen. That's the one thing I tell, <clears throat> if I can tell anything to aspiring guitar players, especially, but any musician, is listen. Find the part nobody else is doing. Don't play the same thing. Right. Don't overplay solos. One note can be more effective than 20 in the same space. Yeah. Buddy guy it proves depends. that all the time. Don't get me started on that. Oh, okay. All right. I'm not a buddy guy fan. <laughs> okay. Buddy guy is only popular because Eric Clapton said he was good. Yeah, that's probably a valid point. Um, there's way better. But he's become good because through attrition. Yeah. Well, I like his heart. Yeah, well, exactly. He's one of the few remaining he's, from the old exactly. Chicago days. Exactly. Yeah. And he's got the, one of the greatest smiles out there. So. Yeah. But again, I mean, and then get this, there you go. That's why there's chocolate and vanilla and strawberry. Everybody likes something different. So if it doesn't appeal to me, it doesn't mean it's terrible. It's Absolutely. Just, it just doesn't appeal to me. So who else have you played with? Johnny Rivers? Oh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Guys, people, stuff. <laughs> what, <clears throat> have you had some interesting jams when you're sitting around here when people come in from, from bands come in? No, I've actually, I used to, there used to be a, at the amphitheater in St. Louis. Um, they used to have a show. In 91, when they built that amphitheater, <laughs> was the uh, scene of the first riot. When well, that's Guns N' Roses caused a riot, Axel went after some guy taking pictures in the front row, and the literally the place got destroyed. Like I think mean, it was like the fourth show of really? the season. Anyway, at the same time, St. Louis Music had built a shack behind the stage called the Amp Shack, and they had all new Ampeg and Crate and Alvarez guitars sure. in the shack for the artists to play and look at before shows and after, whatnot. Stainless Music got sold 2000. Anyway, I took over the Amp Shack, and so it was Killer Vintage Amp Shack for oh. about eight years and, uh, until, well, probably until 14, I guess. And back there, I mean, it was, we had all vintage stuff in there after they left, and set of drums and PA and I mean there were there were nights where Lenny Kravitz was playing drums one night I can't remember who the opening band was but some of the music that played that happened in that shack was way better than anything you heard out front trust me it I'll was bet. cool yeah. you know I mean he's, I, one time I pulled I was late getting there and Aerosmith was playing and I pulled up and Tom Hamilton the bass player standing in front of the amp shack going man I didn't think you were ever going to get here and I go Tom, he got, how long have you been here? He goes, well, we just got here, but I got to get in the app shack. I said, okay, fine. There's a, um, if you go to Tom Petty's site, there's still a video. There's a video of, of me, an interview with me and Scott Thurston and Ron Blair yeah. uh, in the app shack. And they're sitting there trading eights and just, just playing uh, just, back and forth. You know, I mean, it's, it, you never know what was going to happen there. It yeah. was awesome. That would be a treat. And it was the only one in the world. It was the only you know, store backstage for artists at any venue in the world ever. Good job on your part. That's cool. So we should do one here. Yeah, that would be awesome. I don't know how to do that, but let's just 
<laughs> talk to the cast. Well, I don't, yeah, we'll have to talk to somebody. There's, no, there's so many be, new theaters. It's a pretty big up. venue. It'd have to be yeah. like at the Music Factory or at the, what was Starplex? It's called something else now. Yeah, it's, it? yeah something else now. Yeah, the big open area amphitheater down, right. down in uh, uh, Cotton Bowl area. Yeah. All right, it was, as we close out, here we are in DFW. Have you heard some artists in the last few months that you'd recommend people to go out and listen to in person or check out on uh, iTunes? Or I know we don't want to use Spotify, but maybe at least to check them out. Well, I mean, it's a vehicle you have to use. Right. You can't ignore it. Yeah, you got to check it out first there. Um, some artists you'd, you'd recommend people check out. You know out. how much recording there is on that? I mean, probably YouTube is the best place to find people. That's true. Um, more so than any of the other sources you mentioned. Um, I mean, there's some great... I mean, two of the guys that work here are probably two of the greatest guitar players. Uh, Nick Snyder, who's twenty, just turned twenty-three, is just amazing. I mean, he's like Dwayne was at twenty-three. He's that. Really, he's got that. N-I-C-K? Um, N-I-C-K? And I C K. And I C K. Yeah, Snyder. S N Y D E R. Yes. Check it out. And folks. there's, um, you know, John and Rigsby works here too. John's a great guitar player. He and Nick play together a lot at, on Sunday night. Nick does a jam at uh, Freeman in Deep Ellum. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times John will play with Nick, and the two of those guys together are just mind-boggling. What's John's last name again? John and Rigsby. And Rigsby? Rigsby. Rigsby, okay. And his name's John and... Oh, John and, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I mean, this uh, Ryan Berg is awesome. Singer, songwriter, great, great musician. Ryan's a guy everybody should check out. Um, there's so many, I don't know. Well, next time I'll make a list. How's that? That'd be great, you, Dave. I, that's all I can think of right now. That's this great. Only no. one cup of coffee so far. So yeah, well, we gave him three names, and yeah, that's that's not yeah. too many. Three at a time. time. That's, that's right. right, three at a time. We'll have three more for you. All right, Dave. It, it is always great to see you. And uh, people, please go to his website, Killer Vintage Specialty Guitars. And if you're in Dallas, come by. Uh, he's typically open during the week from noon to five, right? Tuesday through Saturday. Yeah. Um, or anytime by appointment. Yeah. Give him a ring on the phone. Um, yeah, that's up on the website as and well. And there's also the St. Louis KillerVintage.com. Right. And we have the the world's most politically incorrect T-shirts. That's you. I, I I have a couple of those. I can verify that. We have those all the time. Yep. Good. Well, people so. come on by. Check out his website for sure. And if you get in Dallas, please come in because. Uh, and uh, bring some, bring a handkerchief or whatever because you're probably going to be drooling when you see all these awesome. We instruments. have sponges. Do you have sponges? We tape sponges to okay. people. <laughs> all right, Dave. As always, it's been great. Thanks so much. Thank you. You got it. All right. See, see you soon. Bye. Dogger and Muddy are heading to a local honky tonk to check out the music scene. If you do the same, let the artists know you appreciate their music and be sure to tip your servers well. Till next time, adios.